Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. It's Amanda Rieger-Green. Welcome to Soul Sessions. I have an intriguing conversation for you today where we're going to talk about UFOs, time travel, consciousness, spirituality, human evolution, and so much more. My guest today is Dr. Michael P. Masters. He is a professor of biological anthropology, specializing in human evolutionary anatomy, archaeology, and biomedicine at Montana Technical University in Butte. He has authored three books, Identified Flying Objects, The Extra Tempestrial Model, and he has a new book out, which is a little bit different than his normal scientific evidentiary-based approach. It's called Revelation, The Future Human Past. It's a satirical time travel novel that I'm very curious to engage with. Welcome, Dr. Masters. Thank you, Amanda. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to talking to you as well. Absolutely. So I want to let our listeners know how we are connected, even though Dr. Masters doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to share this with him. A handful of years ago when we were living, my husband and I were in Belize, I had had plenty of experiences in seeing craft, seeing different spacecraft. When I lived in Texas uh, on a trip to Costa Rica where craft got really close and my sister was with me and was able to back up the evidence and the experience of it. But when we were in Belize, we had this beautiful dark sky. We had 3G, so the it was quieter. And I'm not sure exactly what it was, if it was that point in time and space or the quietness of all of the electric mag- magnetic frequencies in the sky, the energy of Belize, but we would see craft all of the time, almost every night. And awesome. it it was pretty amazing yeah. because I got familiar with them. I was able to identify them. They were similar but different. Some of them were closer. Some of them were farther away. They were vibrating at very, very rapid frequencies and moving in almost quick geographic patterns with lights, laser lights flickering. And some of them would come relatively close to the house. Others were farther away. And I would experience this nightly. And it got to be just part of my 
my lifestyle, my meditation. I would look forward to sitting out on our porch and really I would talk to them almost telepathically. Like, why are you here? What are you communicating? Can I, can, can you show me, can I understand better? And every thing that I felt new and telepathically engaged with was benevolent. Yeah, absolutely. It was curious. And what they kept like transmitting to me was we're here studying you. We are future versions of you. And, Mm -hmm. and literally I was like future versions of me, how many versions are there? And I had already done retreats and workshops on not only past life, but future life and working with linear time and multidimensional time. I've done this with clients for years, but anyway, I'm having this experience repetitively. I knew that they were just in my soul. I just knew they were versions of us from the future, studying us, wanting to understand, wanting to connect, gathering information. And one evening I was, I was frustrated. I was like, why, what, what, what do I need to say? What do I need to do? What is my role in this? And I, I thought, well, I don't know. And I went to do the dishes and I put on an excerpt of Coast to Coast with George Nori. And there you were having a conversation, <laughs> talking, and, and you all were talking and you were basically articulating from a scientific an anthropological perspective. Uh, and from, especially from your first book, Identified Flying objects where you say, could UFOs and aliens simply be us from the future? And it was like, I felt validated and grounded. So thank you for that. But that's, and so in that moment, I was like, I'm going to have to reach out to to Mike. I'm going to have to talk to him. And here we are years later and we're talking. And so I knew it would happen in divine timing. But, but anyway, I mean, that's, that was my, that's my introduction to you, but it also validated from a, an anthropological perspective, which is very unique. And so please tell me a little bit, share with our audience your background, how you got involved in biological anthropology, and then how you started to connect the dots into the future. Because I know you've done digs and research in ex- examining the past as an anthropologist, but how that tracked into exploring the future. And UFOs and alien contact. Yeah. Wow. That's such a cool synchronicity. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I uh, I didn't know that happened. That's 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 really cool. And and yeah, that's been um, my understanding as well. And it goes against the the sort of stereotype of abduction scenarios and these interactions with these this higher intelligence, these beings, what I argue are extra tempestrials, where you know you get drugged into a ship, kicking and screaming, and you have a horrible time, and it freaks you out and uh, so many people I've talked to, like yourself, get that that sense of empathy, love, benevolence, yeah. and and even the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free study showed that the people that interact with these humans, they describe them as humans, eighty five percent have a positive or neutral experience, and only five percent describe it as negative. And then over time, regardless of how positive or negative it was, people start to enjoy those interactions, and like you said, normalize them and, and look forward to seeing the craft or interacting telepathically because it's very possible to do that when they're in proximity that the consciousness connects you know through the zero point energy spectrum or whatever it is so yeah thanks for sharing that but to to get to my background in this it's sort of the reverse of what a lot of people think like the way you framed that is that i became a biological anthropologist and then got interested in ufos and it was actually the opposite where I had what I've come to understand is a conscious precognitive moment when I was eight years old. And I looked up and saw Whitley Strieber's book, uh, Communion, 
with the archetypal gray alien on the cover. And, and as I described in my first two books, I had this moment where I, I envisioned uh, an early hominin, a chimpanzee-like form, a modern human, and then this this quintessential alien, and wondered, could there be a connection? And that sort of set me down this path that sort of fulfilled that self-consistent loop, if it was conscious precognition. And I started out in physics and astronomy to answer, or not answer, I don't think any of us have the answers and it'll be some time before we do, but to at least elucidate this question in real terms from a scientific perspective. And then remember the exact moment it happened, I was behind Morton Hall at uh, Ohio University, my late in my sophomore year. And I thought, this is the wrong track. I need to go into evolution. I need to research the beans themselves and whether or not this could make sense in the context of long-term evolutionary changes. So I switched my major to biological anthropology and have pursued that since. Yeah, I've, I've worked uh, two summers in South Africa at a 3.5 million year old Australopithecus africanus site. I did research in museums all over Europe, South Africa, Cleveland. Uh, I've run a couple digs here in Montana and uh, worked on some in Ohio. So yeah, it's been a great opportunity for travel, um, learning so much about the human condition now and in the past and arguably in the future, because if we are observing our future human descendants, it's not speculating about what we'll look like or what we'll act like in the future. We're actually able to observe and interact with them and garner information from that future. So I don't just you know assume that or come out expecting that, but there's been so many things that do indicate that at least some of them are us. And, and especially experiences like you've had and many others have had where they tell us that, they communicate that to us directly. So I think we do need to take all of this into account, the long-term evolutionary changes, not just in our physiology, but also our culture and technology and the experiences that people have. That's sort of been left off the table so far in the conversations we've been having. It's all about, initially it was the cockpit videos. And now it's a little more about reverse engineering program. But we're still missing the all important piece of the puzzle is people's actual experiences. We can learn so much from them. And I think uh, we owe a debt of gratitude to people brave enough to talk about these things because it really does challenge their own worldview. It challenges the worldview of the people that, that read about this. But I think it's important that we all do that, especially in light of what's happening, that we step back and just look at everything holistically and say, there's something going on here. Let's try to figure it out. Thank you so much for sharing this. And there are my you know, I'm firing and wiring on the synchronicities because I too had a similar experience in college, in undergrad, where mm. I was a, um, I was a biology major. I was on a pre-med track. I was at a liberal arts school. So we were required to take humanities courses yeah. to supplement that. And I was so enriched in my humanities courses, looking at the synthesis of history, art, archaeology, mm. every religion, how those things are formulated in society. So this very anthropological approach. And I had an aha moment day. And I remember exactly where I was, the professor I was talking to it was my organic chem professor. And I told him, I am so enriched in my religion classes, my humanities yeah. classes. And I can do the biology and the physics and the biochem, but I'm just my fire is not lit up. And that's when he said, have you ever thought about a master of public health? Because I had I was had become a religion major. I switched my major much to my mother's <laughs> chagrin. And then, at, you know, and family like, oh, you're supposed to be a doctor. This is what you said you were going to 
to do, you know, breaking those norms and following that call. You know, we have those windows of opportunities and and they they align. And then we have the right people who show up to hold space for us. Yeah. And this professor, he said, you know, master of public health, it's, it's like the liberal arts approach to medicine. And then that opened up this new world into spirituality and public health and our spiritual health being a yeah. public health crisis at this point. And that's where we are. I mean, it's just as important too. We, we get yeah. bogged down in this reductionist materialistic view of reality. And, and obviously we need heart transplants and stuff, but there's yeah. so much more going on with health and there should be, especially in the American healthcare system that I think other developed nations are a little bit better at. So yeah, that's, that's great. It's an equally important contribution. Right. And I want I do want you to talk about your first book a little bit and explain for our audience your findings and your correlations, because and especially with the hominids and, and the evolution of human biology and the, the skeleton and all of I can't even speak. I can't even use the language, you know, at the level you do. But that's why I want you to explain that. But then jumping to your second book in the experiences, because what you were saying is what is so important is the human experience. And I find that in the evolution of consciousness with people, when we relate to each other, when we tell stories, when we share experiences, even when we have to be vulnerable or we're scared and they may be, we don't know how to define or explain things and they're outside the box or our belief systems or infrastructures. When we talk about things and we find people to hold space and listen, something mm -hmm. shifts in our consciousness. And I feel like it's all part of this larger story that is happening now. So will you talk about your first book and some of your findings and explain explain to the listeners how you started making these anthropological connections and biological connections with aliens, with the, the aliens that most people know, the little grays, those beings making those connections in, in the skeleton and in, in the forms of the body. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. 
explain to the listeners how you started making these anthropological connections and biological connections with aliens, with the the aliens that most people know, the little grays, those beings making those connections in in the skeleton and in the forms of the body. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the starting point, like I mentioned, just that question. And, and well, scientific hypotheses always start with a question. And, and what's cool about this one is it is actually testable. We will know if we ever become them or if we destroy ourselves and no humans survive. We've still tested and falsified that question. So I think it's important to recognize that. But then also, yeah, our long-term evolutionary changes, just that, that was the whole reason I got into biological anthropology, the field that studies that, as well as all aspects of humanity were divided into four main subfields. So, yeah, the the more, I mean, obviously recognizing the potential for confirmation bias, where I only look for things that adhere to this model, wasn't the case. Just the more I read, the deeper down this rabbit hole I went from the very beginning at Ohio University and then at Ohio State, where I did my PhD, and really got into the weeds of that because I was assigned slash chose slash was always going to study the orbits, the place where the eye sits within the, the skull. And how the expansion of our neurocranium above that in concert with the reduction and retraction of our mid and lower facial anatomy may impinge upon the eyeball in a a functional vision sense with regard to juvenile onset myopia and astigmatism and uh, other conditions that may be associated with that impinging of these other features upon the eye, which happened to imbue me with a set of knowledge and skills that were very useful for then taking that and applying it in the context of of what may be the path of our our future so yeah a lot of people think well we'll we'll live in space so our eyes will get bigger we'll push buttons so our fingers will get longer i i don't know and i don't make any speculative claims like that because we can't know what will happen between now and whatever point in time we start to morph into them But we can look at very dominant trends throughout human evolution. And I mentioned a few of those, not just an expansion of our brains, which is three times larger than our early uh, hominin ancestors, but has also expanded mediolaterally. Modern humans are characterized what's what's referred to as neurocranial globularity, where our brains have gotten more rounded. There's a lot of parietal expansion in the back. And all of this uh, dovetails with the mid and lower facial anatomy retracting and reducing, which was allowed for by culture. We started to cook food. We invented fire about 1.8 million years ago, stone tools to process that food to make it easier to choose so the face could get out of the way. And so many things like that that just uh, compiled over time and led to this runaway brain, as we say, where the brain just took over and um, allowed us to really have of this high-level thinking and importantly technology and we see an accelerating growth in the rate at which our technology advances and if that continues if there's nothing in the laws of physics that prohibits backward time travel eventually at some point we're going to figure out how to do it and i think we're very close to that already and this is one thing in, in the first book i mostly focused on some problems with the extraterrestrial model where you you know, it's just limitations, not necessarily with travel. I think it'd be easy to travel amongst the stars, at least within the same galaxy, but issues related to concurrent evolution, where you have the same physical characteristics that we have that are ubiquitously described in these instances of close encounters, the biggest one being bipedalism, which defines the hominin lineage. And then you have tetrapods, 
four limbs, uh, upper limbs that are arms specifically to us, five digits on each one. These are characteristics that go back to tetrapods 400 million years ago. So something we share on this planet, not just with these beings and ourselves, but with all mammals. And that indicates a common evolution on the same planet and shared ancestry on this planet. So I sort of took that approach, but because I was inspired by the cover of Strieber's book, I mostly was connecting the dots with that that great alien craniofacial form, overlooking the fact that a lot of people, in fact, the majority of people, again, based on the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free study, what they found is the most commonly described form are humans, just like us. And then it's the small grays, the tall grays, and hybrids. And importantly, all four of those categories, by definition, are upright walking hominins, just like us different versions of them. And I argue that those versions are the result of what I've uh, referred to as temporal ancestry, where they're coming from different points. And like you said, with your account, they seem to have expressed that to you, that we're different versions of of these future humans. And and that would seem to to fit what we see in their physiological form and the technology as well. There's a lot of overlap, but then there are also, there's these different varieties. And seemingly the, the more highly evolved ones, not just in their physiology, but arguably their consciousness from what people describe, the ones that are almost bug-like because they're so, their eyes are so big and they have this really just powerful telepathic ability, the sense of empathy and love, which gives me hope for the future if that is actually where we're going, but they seemingly are in control of these other forms. And that would make sense if they're collaborating across time Obviously, you would have the ones that are the most evolved and the most technologically and consciously evolved overseeing this operation and picking up and studying their ancestors. So, yeah, my thinking has not changed with regard to this hypothesis, but it's definitely been brought to a point where I've had to expand my thinking to also include the modern humans, which seems to indicate to me that this will be happening sooner than later. And then also the consciousness aspect, which I've come to believe is fundamental that there's some fundamental aspect of our consciousness that relates to all of this, but there's still clearly a nuts and bolts component too. They are flying these machines that are argue are time machines because we have this expression of biology that form follows function. The form of these clearly indicates the function of manipulating the space-time metric, manipulating time, and arguably traveling through time. So it's it's become a, a broader approach than where I started being forced through the sieve of reductionist materialism in graduate school. I've sort of come out of that and embraced a lot of things that in my mind weren't related, but now I'm starting to think are are actually fundamental to the whole thing. Yeah. Thank you. Because you, you brought so much together, especially bringing back in the evolution of consciousness and going back to the brain and our brains evolving, getting larger and our facial features changing through agriculture, the advent of fire, all of those those periods and those points in time where where society changed because of a discovery or an innovation. Yeah. You know, I think about the advent of the smartphone, the iPhone, and the release, you know, at least to the public in 2007, and how since, you know, I mean, I can remember in the 90s and 80s, we think back to computers and video games, and we can look at the progression, but after the release of the smartphone in 2007, the advancement of technology 
we can't even keep up. Once something is yeah. released, it's already outdated and we're looking for the next generation of fill in the blank. And and to me, that tracks with time changing. We have linear time and multidimensional time. And I feel like, for lack of better words and a more metaphysical way to put it, the veil is thinner of consciousness between linear and multidimensional time and seeing mm-hmm. how they're intertwining. And I specifically see that with people that I work with as far as depression and anxiety, isolation. Of course, the pandemic was a big game changer in the way that we work and community or lack thereof and and triggered lots of things in our biology and our sociology. But also, it almost, to me, is time and space is changing. Space-time and time-space is changing. And our human body as it exists today is trying to evolve, to keep Mm. up, to respond to healthfully. And as a result, our dense physical matter is heavier. It doesn't shift in vibration as easily. Thus, people searching for meaning, expanding their consciousness, working on neuroplasticity to strengthen the brain, to connect, interconnect the right and left hemispheres. I can yeah. go back to all the practical things that are happening on a, an energetic, a biological, neurological, and spiritual level. But to me, it tracks with our evolution. And, and one of the things that I know that you've talked about before that was a light bulb moment for me was talking about how human consciousness is somewhat evolving to the point where it's almost like an entity into itself. And I thought that was a, to me, again, just like hearing you on Coast to Coast with George and it being validated when you said that, I thought exactly, it's like, and I see that in businesses. You and I were talking about this before we got on on the podcast about evolving the consciousness of organizations, of businesses with the people Mm -hmm. and the consciousness and looking at, to me, I, I say it this way, looking at the heart and soul of a business. What is the energy of your business and how does that translate to your people, your shareholders, your clientele, your products, whatever it may be, but looking at the consciousness of a business but even larger, the consciousness of humanity being an entity or an energy unto itself. Can you give me some thoughts and feedback on that? Because I find it, it tracks with what I see in individuals as well as in the collective. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, the first book was more rigorous. It's been called Dense by many readers. It is dense. I mean, I've, I've read it, it and yeah. I have to underline and words, I have to look things right. up. So it takes me forever. But it also, to me, it put puzzle pieces together scientifically and got me thinking about yeah. our biology and And, and you learned evolution. some new words. I totally did. That's and what I'm not I used ar- to love. I grew up reading really dense books about time and physics and, and yeah. Kip Thorne, Paul Davies, Igor Novikov. And I, I loved you know, having to reread this, I have dyslexia, so I have to reread a lot of things, but rereading the same part just to comprehend what the hell they were talking about, you know, and, and I, I loved that challenge. And I, I, it wasn't what I was trying to do with that book. I was really trying right. to find the middle ground between a, a lay audience, especially ones that interested in UFOs, and then my academic colleagues who I have to appease, right. especially with the first book, you know, like, th- this is maybe accurate or we should at least consider it and yeah. i'd like your feedback but i have to speak in that language otherwise it's not going to convey what i'm trying to convey so it was, it was just tough to find that balance in general but yeah and then going into the second one starting to realize 
people's experiences with these beings who seemingly have a very highly evolved consciousness, like I was just talking about. And I, I think in association with that, you also see empathy increasing and just a sense of oneness that, you know, evolutionarily, and even in recent cultural history, we didn't have. It's very individualistic. It's very tribal. And we still have that tribalism. But I feel like there's also an, a more enlightened segment of our civilization that you could argue is a little more evolved maybe even i don't know it's probably uh, offensive to say that but you know you just look at slavery and jim crow laws all these things are pretty recent in american history but we also have come so far even since then and i think where we're going is just going to be a continuation of that same path again what i study is, is the past and trends and we have a trend, a clear trend in the way humans not only treat each other, but see themselves. And I can't help but wonder, and there's been some indication of this to me from a number of different angles, that we are evolving to a hive mind, yes. super organism type of consciousness. And and there can't be there can't be lies, there can't be hiding truths from people who you share a mind with, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think that stage of evolution. It's going to be very transcendental and if we're already interacting with beings who have that we can't help but absorb some of that and help move us in that direction in the same way the crash retrieval programs would help us eventually build the same time machines that eventually come back and crash that we eventually build and they come back and crash i i, I can't help but wonder if that's happening with this evolution of empathy and consciousness and, and a denigration of the tribalism that characterizes the human past up to this point and still exists today, unfortunately. But another thing, I haven't read the book yet, but I was listening to uh, Kelly Chase's The UFO Rabbit Hole last week, yeah. and she was talking about Whitley Strieber's book, Them. And and I was actually at, at Rice University when he told this story, and then it got worked into that book. But it was a group of people on a farm that saw this human being out by the barn, and it was so uh, unimpressive that the woman sent her daughter down to check it out. And, you know, there's this woman walking around, and then there were like floating human-like beings up in the trees. And then later, and this very Cliff Notes version, go, go read the book. Yeah. <laughs> gives more detail. Uh, but then the last one is sort of this ball of energetic light. And, and the way he interpreted that, which I think is an interesting and accurate interpretation, is he they were seeing sort of the evolution of human and human consciousness towards that that almost disembodied, uh, timeless, universal mm -hmm. consciousness form, all in the course of this one encounter. And I, I think that that's really interesting that they witnessed that they saw that in his interpretation. Of that, of all of, all of the tens of thousands of letters him and his wife Anne got, that's the one that he brought to this lecture at Rice for the opening of the archives conference that Jeff Crapel put on uh, last year, 2022. Another and mutual friend of ours that we connected. Who I And it's so funny because the last two weeks I've been thinking, I need to reach out to Dr. Kripal. I need to connect with him and just give him an update on things and pick his brain. And then this morning, you and I, one thing led to another and we made that connection. You're like, I just was with him. You know, yeah. those things. And I, I point this stuff out even to digress for a moment because this is where 
we get to fire and wire. We get to notice our connections and alignment. And to me, it generates endearment and empathy and connection and almost these telepathic or multidimensional timeline wires that are crossing. This yeah. internet, this interweb that we have of consciousness going back to this you know, hive consciousness you're talking about. Okay, so go back. And I also, it's funny because I was going to ask you to give a couple of examples. And I do want you to give a couple of outstanding examples from your second book when mm. you were looking at actual encounters that were just eye-opening, revelatory to you. But but finish where you were on that. And I didn't mean to interrupt. Okay, back to Rice University. Oh, no, you didn't at all. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Back to Rice University. Yeah, so Whitley was talking about this encounter that was described to him in the letter. And I, I yeah, this, this is sort of what launched us into that is the question of, of not just the evolution of our physical form, because that's what I really focused on in the first book, barely even brought in any case studies. I think there were a few that were just sort of listed in, in bullet form or in a, a table of some sort. But I overlooked that real connection that we had. So the second book, I didn't even start from that place. And I swore after the first one, I wasn't even going to write another book because it was seven years and it was very uh, traumatic at times. <laughs> and, and a accordance with raising children and uh you know teaching and researching other things but COVID hit got bored started writing this one and then realized a lot of things i overlooked in the first one uh, disease transmission across different time periods yes the role of ai and robotics and these yes. abductions and other things how the g-forces can be easily explained by different temporal reference frames and how they view us as moving very slowly we move them as moving very quickly but they're not in their own frame of reference. It's just a shift in, in the perception inside and outside of those craft. And then the other one was, yeah, really that that connection uh, empathetically with another human form, like this non-human intelligence has replaced extraterrestrial as the buzzword, but many of them are probably us. And yeah. in fact, I've I've come to know that some of them actually are. And, and yeah, what my friend Darren King calls... Um, 
non-conventional humans instead of just non-human because because yeah they're they're not like us they're not modern humans some of them are because they are here and present in our time as well so yeah there's just there's a lot going on there but i do think that in in looking at the case studies and i focused on 15 different case studies but then brought in about another 15 or 20 so it's not just those, but I was trying to get a broad perspective. So it's five different continents over about 92 or 93 years. And, and it's so much consistency across these different reports. The ones that stand out, and, and I wasn't just cherry picking ones that seem to indicate time travel is at play. And some of them very, very clearly do, like the Amy Rylance case yeah. in um, Australia, where she was taken I'll give a very short description of this. She was taken, seen by her friend being taken through a window into a disc outside. So there's other witnesses corroborating this. Her husband wakes up and he starts freaking out. Cops are called. They get there an hour and a half later and they're starting to think, oh, they murdered her. They murdered this this Amy person because uh, there's a love triangle or something. Just at that moment, uh, a woman calls from a BP station 790 kilometers away and says, we have Amy Rylance here. She doesn't look so good. I'm taking her to the hospital. So what's interesting about it is they found her an hour and a half after she was seen disappearing. She claims she was on the craft with this man, doesn't even call him an alien, calls him a man, just like uh, people alive today. Yeah. And the doctors confirmed that based on her hair growth and the context of her stomach and the dehydration that she was gone for at least five days. So if, if a person is taken, shows up 790 kilometers later, is with these people for five days, but then is found an hour and a half later, it indicates that they came back in time and dropped her off in order to most likely appease or at least reduce the mental anguish of the two people that were worried about her. And we see this in the, the Corporal Armando Valdez case study too, where he disappears uh, he's gone for his watch, even read five days in the future. Yeah. His beard growth indicated he was gone that long. And then he shows up again in 15 minutes because the six members of his platoon are like, oh, crap, you know, where where'd this guy go? He just disappeared, yeah. shows back up. He's very weak. So, yeah, there's a lot of things about the craft and the experiences and the missing time that indicate this. But I, I didn't just cherry pick. I also talked about the Betty and Barney Hill case because that's usually thrown out as the one that's definitely extraterrestrials because she was shown a star map. And even though there, there's a lot of problems with the star map, I still need to talk about those. And what's really funny about it, and this was just sent to me a couple months ago, is that Betty Hill made a bust of what one of her captors looked like, one of yeah. these aliens that abducted her and her husband. And she actually was showing it to people at university and a biological anthropologist told her, that that is what humans will look like in some tens of thousands of years. So the case that's always yeah, been based touted, on study. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The case that's always been touted as extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial. Now even Betty Hill, or at least yeah. at the time this video was shot in the 90s, she's convinced yeah. that they're future humans, too. So there's just all of these things that seem to keep pulling us back to that as a, a potential explanation. Certainly, it's part of it. It doesn't explain everything. But yeah, the case studies in the book highlight many that do, but there's also ways we can interpret it in the context of interdimensional, crypto-terrestrials, mm -hmm. ultra-terrestrials, which I've come to think are all the same thing. Yes. If we interject this 
all important variable of time. And I just posted a, mm -hmm. a lecture I gave on my YouTube channel. It's the only thing on my YouTube channel because I started it just for this video. But it's a talk I gave in Phoenix in May where I lay out how that could be, how all of these seemingly competing models could really be the same thing if we just look at it through the lens of time, if we see how time could connect all of these different aspects of the phenomenon. That's what I find fascinating is time. And that's where, you know, you know how sometimes you're driving and whether you're going to the grocery store, you're picking up your kids and it's like, whoa, how did I get here in five minutes? I just blacked out, you know, yeah. and I, I was conscious. I was at the stoplights, you know, I'm not on anything like, you know, how did I get here? And I used to play with that a handful of years ago. I had this drive on this gorgeous ranch road in the in the Texas Hill Country, and I would notice myself getting from where I was driving home, and it was about a 25-minute drive, and I would notice I would get there in 12 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And it was clearly by the mileage, the stoplights, I had made this drive about a 25, 27 minute drive without traffic. And I would make it home in 15 minutes. And I would look at the clock and I would get so confused <laughs> about what was happening because yeah. I was seeing the time. And, and I have to tell you, because this is kind of hysterical. I'm I'm sober. I've been sober for a while. So I was actually at a recovery meeting. So this was from my recovery meeting home. So I'm like, just to validate, you know, I am clear, present in my consciousness, yeah. sober. And I would drive home and there would be times where I would look at the clock when I got in the car and I would say, okay, I'm just going to enjoy my drive home and I'll make note when I get home. So I wasn't like, you know, phoning on my powers and trying to focus this, I would just play with it. And then I wouldn't look at the clock the whole way. I'd listen to music or an audiobook or talk to a friend or just drive, whatever it was. And it would be so odd. And I would tell this to my husband. I'd say, hey, here's, and he's like, there's no way. The mileage is yeah. this. This is how long it takes, Amanda. You know, and I said, but this is happening. And the most amazing thing about that that I want to add in that goes back to human connection and empathy is my husband is this super grounded guy. He's pretty spiritual. He's very open and accepting, but he's a pretty black and white kind of no-nonsense guy. So when we would see these craft in Belize, and he would see them, and he'd be like, okay, I got it. I see them all the time. Why are you so interested in them? Can we talk about something else? What are we having yeah. for dinner? You know, he didn't He didn't have the same hunger and thirst and curiosity, but he acknowledged them, and he would acknowledge yeah. the same thing with the time, the driving time for me. He'd say, I don't know how that could happen, but it's you that I'm talking to, and I believe you. And he said, anything is possible with you, and it fascinates me, but I don't need to know how or why amazing Amanda and he wasn't blowing me off or placating to me because yeah, that's not just, really it doesn't pique that yeah, interest the it's same not way. how we roll together I mean he respects yeah. me and who I am and what I do and my intelligence and and the exploration and fervor for the expansion of consciousness and um you know it's funny going back to Dr. Kripal at Rice University, he and I were having a discussion one day, and he said, Amanda, I'm just excited about pushing the ball forward in humanity. And I said, ah, that's what it is. Like, that's yeah. all I am curious about. And from scientific perspectives, from empathy, from connection. And and that's why I, I wanted to have this dialogue with you today to give people ideas and ways of looking at what is happening scientifically, biologically, anthropologically, consciously, metaphysically, in yeah. and looking at it to synthesize, to start 
drawing our own conclusions. And for me, apart from looking at the science and listening and and learning from people like you, individuals like you, and, and those dialogues and conversation and the vast research, because there's, I have mad respect for especially your first book, because I know that, that was painstaking, you know? I mean, it's painstaking it to do that much research, especially in a way that is convincing your academic colleagues of something that is looking at a science in a different way. And and even it's like taking the scientific method and expanding it. You know, even does the scientific method need to expand to include consciousness, consciousness evolution, telepathy? You know, there's so yeah. much happening that I can't even articulate, but I feel it. I see it. I know it. I see it when people light up, when people are amazed at their own consciousness or extrasensory abilities and thinking, oh man, it's not just about what I can see. It's really about what I can believe and unlimiting my beliefs. It's so funny you mentioned that because I, right before this chat, I just got off of uh, a Zoom call with uh, two other PhDs and a pretty well-known journalist to discuss working on a paper that investigates just that, the standards of evidence and how we view evidence in the context of, of law and experiential evidence and eyewitness accounts and the standards of evidence versus what people's worldviews are and how much it challenges yeah. it or how willing people are to accept it and, and this sort of spectrum, this, this matrix of sorts. And it's, it was so revealing to us to talk about it in very quantitative terms, also mm -hmm. qualitative terms, and to really try to dig into what is evidence. Because a lot of people, you know, especially these celebrity scientists will blow off anything because the evidence totally. isn't there. Well, they have such a narrow view of evidence that, of course, nothing's going to conform to that. But you have to recognize that there's a lot of kinds of evidence. And we know that very uh, intricately in anthropology because we can't do experimental studies on human beings. You can't just take babies and make some babies smoke and other babies not smoke. Like There's ethics involved. You're very aware yes. of that. So we use observational studies, which still give you a ton of information. But yeah, it's not the same as highly quantitative laboratory studies where cause and effect can be easily determined because you have all these other cofactors taken out. But we can still learn. So it pains me to see that we have all of these scientists not doing their jobs because they're hung up on the standards of evidence Formulary. and this very limited reductionist materialistic view of how the world works. And, and absolutely, we have to move past that. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting too. you mentioned the driving thing. I drive, but my wife's kind of taken over the driving because yeah. I do that exact same thing. I'll drive and I'll get to where I'm going. And I'm like, how did I get here? I don't remember any of it. Like I'm just somewhere else, but I'm stopping for traffic lights. I'm not running over anyone or drive. Yeah. I did drive off the road once. <laughs> um, but, but, but there are things that, you know, about our perception of time. And it's really interesting that your clock time also correlated yeah. with your perception of time. Cause a lot of and times multiple you know, we all have the times. experience. Multiple yeah. times. I mean, it was mind yeah. blowing to me. And I mean, I would get out of the car and be like, you have to see this, but you know, and I should have taken, and I don't think I ever took a picture but of it to timestamp it because that, you know, I just, I was so but fascinated, could. but I could, yeah. yes. And I can yeah. practice that today because I'm, I, you know, I could practice it today and maybe I will. And maybe anybody out there should practice it today because we all know what it feels like to get to and from somewhere. And we're like, wait, where did time go? Yeah, what just happened? Absolutely. Where was I? Or, or the change in the rate of time. I talk about this in yes. my first book a lot in the context of what is time. 
but yeah, you you're in a car crash and everything slows down mm-hmm. and you're moving like this, but it's still happening at the speed that outside observers would would see it. But you feel the passage of time differently and how things seem to move faster as we get older versus a, a child who is just bored out of their minds in the same period of time. But yeah, that there, I've had one experience where clock time was also affected by my perception. A clock just stopped for upwards of 15 minutes. And I kept looking at it, very aware that time was passing, conversations are happening all around me, but that clock wasn't moving, not because there was something wrong with the clock, because I had other ones too, I wore a wristwatch back then, but time just seemingly stopped. But all of this movement still going on around me, it it was extremely confusing. Uh, The only experience I've had like that, but I I definitely understand the the sort of zoning out and the way that time appears to move during, during driving, especially, especially routes that you've taken before if it's a new route that doesn't happen to me like my brain is very much involved yeah it's a familiar because it's almost like an entrainment a cohesion you know you're used to the routine you're used to the pattern you've traversed that place multiple times so there's almost like you know there's energetic uh resonance that's there that's creating a time loop would go back to dr kripal and time and time loops and uh and and that dialogue you know you brought up something else that just I thought about trauma you know oftentimes and I see this I've seen it for myself I mean I've had my extrasensory and psychic abilities since I was young I didn't know how to express them but trauma opened those abilities up for the better or for worse you know it's it's you know very painful traumatic events helped me and I'm saying helped me learn how to disassociate, to drop into an altered state of consciousness, to disassociate from my body. And at the time, it, you know, I wouldn't wish those things or events upon anyone, but no. it was preparing me for using my brain and my cognition and consciousness in a different way and in a healthy way. But the the other thing, I think about the pandemic as collective trauma and how, you know, it was a prolonged traumatic event. So to me, that would change some time space. If you think about a prolonged trauma instead of a an event like a car crash, I watched my dad die in front of me in a you know in a matter of about an hour. It was pretty traumatic. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. you know I've had multiple traumas like that, but but the pandemic was traumatic. I work with a professor who studies trauma and intense massive tra- sex trafficking. You know yeah. those ki- that kind of tra- I mean. We all have traumas, different levels of trauma, but really intense trauma and what that looks like and how we heal it and how we facilitate healing and therapy through that. But you, if you look at the pandemic as a trauma and potentially opening a new level of consciousness, people are isolating. We are experiencing suicide rates, mental health challenges, anxiety, depression at rates that are unprecedented and growing. And people who I know personally who have personal and spiritual toolkits and practices and are conscious of, you know, what they need to be doing to respond to their mental health are not getting relief, like are really, really biologically, neurologically, physiologically, and spiritually struggling and and in at rates and that's why i'm saying to me we have this public health crisis that is how do we approach it and i think the old ways of approaching things are coming to an end you know or maybe not an end they're evolving maybe that's a better way for me to frame that definitely i mean we're always evolving and 
in everything we do. It's painfully slow at times, especially <laughs> right? when you're talking about public policy and right? yeah, uh, exactly. things like that. But yeah, you can definitely see that progress. And, and it's funny, as you were talking about trauma, I was having this memory. I was like, I just read about this. Where, where the hell was I reading about this? And then finally I remembered it was a book called Why We Dream. But it was, it was really interesting the way in which our dreams help us heal loss of loved ones, anxiety and stress about aspects of our jobs or our lives or divorce or, or whatever it is, our, our, in our dream state, which I would argue is the closest connection that we have on a daily basis to this universal consciousness. I, I even have come to think this is just a working hypothesis that it's a time when we upload information yes. from this physical world into the massive database that is this evolving human consciousness or, or universal source consciousness, whatever it is. Um, but in during those times, especially during REM sleep, we're also dealing with personal issues yes. and especially stress and trauma that we have in our lives. And And the author gave a number of really interesting case studies of, of how that happened. So yeah, I mean, even outside of our waking state, seemingly we're, we're dealing with trauma and, and, and that's a timeless space to do it. We sort of leave our bodies in yes. a sense and enter that same realm. Yes, you just hit on something that I share with people and I have done this for over a decade. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You just hit on something that I share with people, and I have done this for over a decade, and, and I do it more often than not, let's say six days out of the week, you know, unless I am just dead tired and, and fall asleep without thinking about it. Yeah. When I go to bed, and, and this evolved from Jane Roberts and Seth material and the idea of talking to my higher self, my oversoul. Right. So not only saying my prayers at night or whatever it may be, but I would specifically address 
my higher self and my oversoul. And I would say, hey, soul, hey, higher self, hey, oversoul. You know, while I'm sleeping at night, Amanda needs to regenerate. Amanda needs to revitalize. I know you're doing lots of work out there and it's important, but make sure my consciousness integrates wholly and fully. She is, you know, she is sovereign in this timeline. This is where her power is. Yet help me, you know, understand my place or what I'm working through so I can synthesize that and then experience it in my waking state. Put me in front of the right people, places, experiences to trigger or activate. I, I mean, that's how my dialogue is. And now it's almost like I, I think it and therefore it is. I mean, it's that telepathic and quick, but I would know what I'm spouting out to you, what to say to my soul. And it was like, I've done this forever. And I yeah. share that with people all the time. Like, hey, when you say your prayers or do your nightly routine, talk to your soul and and do it with like emphasis. Hey, soul. Hey, you. Hey there. I appreciate you, but I am important. I need to wake up, revitalize, help me work through this stuff. Let's do this in tandem, you know, and, and connect me to that higher, you know, consciousness, all of those things. There are so many practical ways to engage. And, and one thing, one thing I want to point out to everybody listening, and let me ask you this: Is the author um, Alice Rob? I looked that up when you asked Alice. I Robb think so. The, yeah, that's why we right. why we dream. So why I'm going to ch- why we dream, Alice Rob. I'm going to check that out because that's very much of interest to me. But you know, as far as Doctor Masters' books and other books and authors we've mentioned today, if any of that has piqued your curiosity. Follow that breadcrumb. That's what works for me is just like hearing you with George Norrie when I was frustrated that evening, you know, doing the dishes like, why don't I have answers? Who am I going to talk to about this? And then I'm like, well, let me just listen to an episode of Coast to Coast. I mean, like I just put it on and there you were and it validated in also this new frame of reference in, in a way that I said, okay, okay, I've got some answers and now I know where to look to better understand and formulate my beliefs and my evolving yeah. beliefs, this biology of my own beliefs. And another one, just since we're talking about other author breadcrumbs is, is Julia Mossbridge with regard yeah. to the higher self and speaking with her future yeah. self, you know, it connects yes. precognition, this timeless spiritual essence that we have. And uh, Eric Wargo as well, yes. his book Time Loops, the way that yep. we sort of integrate information from the future into our past. And there's so many great resources that, that I feel are just below the surface of yes. the mainstream. Like they sort of push in in different places. But, but yeah, people people like Donald Hoffman, Dean Radin, there's so many that are doing yeah. All of this incredible work, oftentimes highly validated, repeatable experimental research that just still gets brushed aside because of that knee-jerk reaction to anything that doesn't conform to these standards that we've established for the scientific method and for evidence. But yeah, there's probably more answers in that stuff than there is with a lot of cosmologists that are studying space-time without knowing what space time is and, and what it's emergent from. So I, yeah, I would definitely encourage people to check out the works of those that are at the boundaries of science, but that's going to be as, as those boundaries move, that's going to be the core of our knowledge at some point yes. in the future. You know, in, in wrapping up and I, I want to touch on your new book because one of the things I want to share with you about that book, because it's, it is a satire, a science fiction. It's, not a book, an academic book, yet you have all of this wealth of knowledge that you bring. So it, it there is this essence to it, I'm sure. And I haven't gotten to read it yet, so I'm excited. But when, I want you to talk a little bit about it. And, you know, I mean, it must have been fun and exciting and creative for you. 
but what I want to share is, you know, in like Jane Roberts and the Seth material years ago, she wrote a quote unquote fiction book, The Trilogy of Oversoul Seven. Have you ever read that? Uh-uh. It's three books, and I think it might be the other way around, the Oversoul Seven Trilogy. And it talks about our Oversoul and somewhat this hierarchy of the Oversoul. And it, there's this character who is essentially just trying to manage and corral, like herding cats, these various souls in the future and, you know, in, th- in three or four or five different timelines. And, and he's got, you know, a mentor above him. And it's, it's just, it's utter hysteria and chaos. And it gave yeah. me, even though it was, you know, I mean, and she had experienced quite a bit through Seth and her channeling and her experiences. So when she wrote this fiction book to me, I correlated many, many of my beliefs and understanding about time, talking to my higher self, the oversoul, past versions of me, future versions of me, and us working in tandem as a team. Because oftentimes I can feel out of sorts or a little bit of a little bit depressed or just yeah. extremely exhausted. And there is nothing evidentially in my day-to-day experience to just say, gosh, Amanda, you should be so tired. I slept well. I'm eating well. I've exercised. I don't have too terribly much on my plate. You know, what? what is contributing to this? And sometimes I'll say, oh my gosh, this isn't me. This is another version of me bleeding through that is actually going through something that is exhaustive or traumatic. And I am feeling it because I feel like time, space, and that continuum is shifting and we've got bleed through, which I think contributes to this denseness in mental health and the anxiety and all those things. It's all correlating. And I think it's almost time just somehow interconnecting, but I think it's versions of ourselves. So I anyway, think so but, too. Yeah. yeah. And it almost feels like there's a, a resonance because I've experienced yes. that exact same thing where a lot of times when you're highly present and in your body yeah. and your mind is connected to your body, there's, there's sort of an acceleration, a resonance to the waves, but then there's a deconstructive resonance too at times where you feel like you're just a little ahead or a little behind and, and they're just de- deconstructing that that yeah. vibrational energy to some extent. I, I felt that. I, I've never tried to articulate it yeah. until now because I've I've definitely felt the same thing you just described. But yeah, I've I've gotten that sense too that it's just a little mismatch of time, whether it's a bleed through with another mm-hmm. aspect of time or a, a dimension we're not aware of or linear exactly. time as we perceive it. And maybe but it's there both. There does seem to be you something know? there. Yeah, it's it's both and and that's where I get curious. And so I'll play with it a bit. And if I like, let's say I'm just all of a sudden, like having heart palpitations for no apparent reason, I'm not stressed. I've, you know, had whatever, like no apparent reason, I will literally just pause and say, is this mine? Is this Amanda's? Literally just in my mind's eye, tell is this mine? And I immediately get a yes or no. And if it's no, I'll say, is this another version of myself? And it, and I'll get a yeah. yes or no. And so I'm either, and if I get a yes, then I'm like, okay, whatever you're going through, I'm beaming you love. I'm beaming you clarity. I am regulating your, you know, your neurological systems, like whatever it is. And I, it's like Care Bear staring. It, I mean, like, <laughs> it's like, if you can think it, you know, and it's got to be comical because I kind of laugh, yeah. you know, it's oh, like, yeah. is this... Is this real or not? But to me, it is. But sometimes when I get the answer that it's not Amanda's and it's not another version of myself, it is just something I am feeling from that collective hive of consciousness that is Mm -hmm. actually not mine to necessarily process, but for me to give more love to or more compassion to 
rather than take on the the frustration or the irritability. And I think when we can utilize new tools like that to really be aware and present of our body, our symptoms, our physiology, and to be able to start working with consciousness in new and expanded and very accessible and practical ways. Yeah, very practical. It, it doesn't even so take practical. stopping everything no. and, and meditating, you know, like no. it, I just finished, I was on sabbatical for the last year and it was extremely busy, but then I would also be bored and I've never been yeah. much of a reader because of my dyslexia. It's always made it hard, but audiobooks have been great because yeah. I don't have to worry about that. I just listen to it. And, and speaking to this point, uh, I, I just finished recently Eckhart Tolle's The Power of Now, which right? is entirely about that. You know, just and you listen to it on, did you listen moment. to it on audio? Yeah. Because he's kind of hypnotic, right? In oh like, my God, so much. <laughs> yeah, if I'm not so... out in the yard doing something, it'll put me to sleep. <laughs> so it's... hypnotic. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And his second book too, The World something i forget what it's yeah. called um but yeah it just it was so helpful for me because like we were talking about it always felt just a little off in time but then if i just stop and like focus i've never really I, i'm presentism has always been not nonsensical in the context of the block universe and the existence of all of these other moments but his point which sort of bridged this disconnect for me is that you still feel that now it's the yeah. only thing that you actually feel and so it helps with anxiety and yeah, the heart palpitations and the panic attacks and just to be present in that moment. Like, well, what else is there? Who cares yeah. about any of those things? And then you can emerge from that with this sort of deeper calm that you mm-hmm. get from just living in that moment. So it's been this cool bridge between the block universe and, and presentism, but in like uh, a theoretical versus a practical way. And it's been really good for my mental health and a lot of the things he said i just i resonate with and, and yeah. they're not overly complex ideas but no. they just make a lot of sense and especially when he pulls in aspects of eastern mysticism and spiritualism yeah. and all of these different worldviews that have existed long before christianity and sort of the western worldview so yeah no i i I think that's great. Absolutely. Okay. So share, I know we like, we keep, you know, running on different tangents that I'm totally enjoying, but share a little bit about your novel and the genesis of that. And, and just a little bit about it because it is, it's totally a different departure, but still in the same genre. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple things at play here. Like I said, I was on sabbatical. I had this TV project that was going to be the main thing I did. And very sadly, the CEO uh, fell and hit his head and, and died and they couldn't continue with the projects that wow. were in in production or at least in the developmental stage and he was such a great guy and had a great way of viewing the ufo phenomenon and our approach dovetailed so beautifully because we wanted to keep it scientific and you know but still make it entertaining and he flew out a crew of people here and we shot a sizzle reveal and made the pitch deck and everything and his brother was actually the cameraman so i got to know his brother really well over here and so yeah it was very tragic and then i'm like well what the hell am i gonna do on sabbatical and i had conferences lined up and you know obviously conversations like these which i really enjoy but i needed something to do or i go insane and start right. annoying my family. Pro- you got to gotta have a project. Yeah. Something that is a project. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah. So I just sort of, one morning I dropped off the kids at the school bus and I, you know, spare you the details, but I went outside and just kind of communed with nature. And then my wife's like, so, you know, what'd you come up with? And I was like, well, I'm going to write another book. Oh yeah. I kind of figured you would. 
but it's not going to be the same kind of book. It's it's going to be a time travel novel, and it's written for a very different audience. So uh, I'll, yeah. I'll come out and say right now, there's crass language, highly sexual situations, yeah. rampant drug use, but it's also a hard science novel. Like I really do bring in a lot of the same things I've learned in writing the first two books about the physics of how a lot of these things might work. And it's also the, the time traveler, time travelers are anthropologists who visit these different periods. And, and yeah, like you were alluding to earlier, a lot of times we write fiction and then you get done and you're like, there might be a lot of truth to this. Yeah. Like there might be a lot of little nuggets of information in here that are actually true. So it's hard you know, to express that. And I had to write it as fiction. And it's very satirical too to get away with some of the things. Because you think back to George Carlin and Richard mm -hmm. Pryor, and they could make these jokes because they're drawing attention to aspects of society that we oftentimes right. overlook, you know, and putting it in the framework of comedy, because it's, I've been told it's a very funny book, allows you to sort of examine those things in a different way. So it's, yeah, it's still about this idea of time traveling future humans, but the things they do and the way they do them and the effects of those things make for an interesting and, and I've been told hilarious story. Okay. Well, and you know, laughter is an incredible medicine. As we know, it mm -hmm. raises our vibration and frequency. Absolutely. And I, I yeah. tell you what, Oftentimes when I'm talking to people and working with clients, I will say, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm like, practice some self-care and we'll we'll go through what is specific to them that makes sense. And I'll also be like, OK, watch TV. And I said, I'm not talking about binge watching TV for three days and going down a rabbit hole, but allow yourself to be present and immersed in something that is fanciful or creative or funny or sometimes, you know, I can be drawn to very dark, mysterious things. But a lot of times it when I am consciously in that space of also just being present and allowing myself to just entrain with with some of that energy, I will get insights and ideas and put puzzle pieces mm -hmm. together. So it's it's really to me fascinating that we can access higher levels of consciousness evolve through very practical seemingly mundane things and also through you know new practices and and ways that we can expand our conscious and get curious and in digging yeah. into whatever piques our interest and exploring it so yeah and laughter you know, for me yeah. is that that main me thing too. outside of a couple ufo podcasts all of the other ones i listen to are comedy yeah. podcasts like uh this is important smart list the yeah o'brien podcast there's one that actually combines both uh the cryptid factor with leon okay. kirkbeck i'll have to Gr check that out the Reece cryptid Darby factor. and dan okay. schreiber because they're hilarious but it's all about ufos yeah. and cryptids and stuff so it's it's this beautiful mix. And if, you know, I, I sometimes get stressed out, not when I'm at conferences or giving talks, but yeah. in the transportation aspect of it. And so I won't listen to any of these podcasts for like a month, save them all up. And then that's how I deal with the stress yeah. of traveling and being around massive hordes of people and in these tiny little climate yeah. control death pods that they Correct. make us fly. And even though we have UFO technology where we could get to Paris in two minutes. Exactly. We still, you know, and we know that that's probably that technology is available to us. And, you know, we yeah, can go down the whole disclosure, you know, uh, <laughs> rabbit hole. But it's, you know, that's not the nature. But I want to thank you for not only your 
time today and all of your expertise and remarkable research, but also your consciousness and your open heart, you know, and that's one of the things that when I heard you years ago and, you know, was able to, to get your first book and all those things tracked is I was like, gosh, this is such an accessible guy. You know, he's academic and he's doing the research, but he's very accessible and relatable. And that to me is it's such a human uh, a human experience when we can connect because two heads, two minds, two bits of consciousness, it just elevates us. So I really want to thank you for your time. Yeah, well, thank you. And I mean, if these conversations weren't had in these public forums, we wouldn't be able to do that. So yeah, it was cool that that our connection started through that that same thing. Yeah. Through talking to people about ideas. So that's great. Well, everyone out there, definitely, you know, check out Dr. Michael Masters. He's got a really massive YouTube channel with one video on it. So So maybe that's not going to be your best place, but you'll get a little taste. And there are other interviews out there, but also his books and, and anything that we mentioned today, definitely anything that piqued your curiosity, this is a really ripe time to follow it, to follow those breadcrumbs yeah, and true. see see what doors open up, see what ideas open up, see who it, uh, you know, who that facilitates putting in front of you. This is a great time to expand uh, not only our consciousness and our minds, but also our circle of influence. And um, and I think we can do that virtually. We live in a pretty virtual world where we can really connect with other inspiring people who are asking the same questions in different ways. So really, really, again, I appreciate you being on. It's been so much fun. And, yeah, it was. you know, I've totally enjoyed it. Everybody, Let's do it again sometime. Okay, we'll totally do it again sometime. Everybody take care. Definitely, if you enjoyed this, like, share, and subscribe, and have a great day. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.